And that's just fun to watch. All right, we're going to look at a portion of Scripture, spend just a few moments letting God speak to us through His Spirit as we hear His Word. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Let's be standing, please. Remain standing for the song that we'll sing following this Scripture. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. May God bless the reading of his word. I was thinking this week, I don't know why this popped in my mind, about how many old sayings or adages or aphorisms, whatever you want to call them, but just things that people say that we all know and have heard many times. In fact, I googled in old sayings and found many websites where people have collected all these things. And one in particular I looked at had about 2,000 of them listed. Well, I didn't take the time to read all of them, but I just sort of skimmed along and found very few out of that 2,000 that I had never heard of before. Now, I know you know them too. So we're going to play a game. You fill in the blank. You ready? He's still wet behind... You got it, see? Isn't that great? Now, when's the last time you thought about that? Yeah, probably some of you maybe haven't thought of that in years, but it's there. You know that saying. Or hit the nail on the... You got it. Okay. Can't judge a book. This one now, I got mixed. It didn't go so well first service. We'll see if y'all are smarter than they are. Were you born in... Thank you. That's the right answer. Some of the people missed that first service. Y'all need to pray for them. (laughs) That was one of my mother's favorite sayings. I can still see her standing in the hallway looking in my room and asking, were you born in a barn? (laughs) One of my favorites, wake up and smell. Yeah, now I know what that means. It means, you know, come on, get with it. You need to know what's going on. But I just love to think about waking up and smelling the coffee. There's just, aren't these timers on your coffee pots just wonderful now? 
where when you wake up, that's the first thing that you notice. Time flies when you're... I just picked that one because it's so fitting for right now, isn't it? I mean, we're all having fun. Time's just flying by. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? And speaking of birds, birds of a feather, that's the one we want to talk about. You know, these aphorism or old sayings stick around because basically they're true, or at least there's an element of truth in them, and people find it a way to express things as they have observed them. And it's certainly true, as we can observe, that birds of a feather flock together. We do as people tend to look for others who are like us. We're just more comfortable if we're around others who, who we have something that, that really is, is in common. And the more that we have in common, then it seems like the more comfortable we are, just the better we feel about being in that group of people. I remember uh, years ago, a friend of mine lived across the street from us, went to church with us, was given uh, four tickets to the Cotton Bowl. And it was Texas versus Arkansas. And we were both big Longhorn fans. And so he invited me and my youngest son to go with him and his son to the Cotton Bowl. So I said, well, sure. It was on January 1st, like, you know, that's the way God intended bowl games to be played. But, you know, our society's just drifting away. But anyway, January the 1st, we headed out for Dallas. And it was on the way, though, he mentioned to me, just in an offhand way, as if this didn't matter, that our tickets were on the Arkansas side. (laughs) Burn orange and red just don't go together very well. But I thought, well, it'll work out because I can sit and gloat. They beat the pants off us. It was no fun at all. I don't want to ever see another hog hat or hear another pig suey for the rest of my life. I wanted to sit on the other side where God's people were, where the good folks were. You just feel more at home when you're with people that you have things in common with and people that are like you. Well, the reason we're talking about this is because This issue really presents one of the greatest challenges for the church today and all through the church's history. Getting people who are so different in so many ways to feel comfortable, accepted, at home, and affirmed within the church. It was a problem that Paul dealt with in many of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. And particularly true with the Corinthian church. These folks were so different from each other. And they had only been a church for a matter of months. And yet here they found themselves joined together in this body of Christ with people that in the past they would have nothing to do with. Some of the great differences that existed among them were some were Jews and some were Gentiles. I know we mention that often because it's all through the Scripture. They really wrestle with that in the first century. And that kind of goes over our heads sometimes, and we go, so? But it was such a big deal because these people had avoided all their lives 
really having to do anything, have anything to do with each other. They were uncomfortable with each other if they were in the same room. They certainly would not eat with each other, and they avoided even touching one another. And now all of a sudden, here they were, the body of Christ, all together. Another thing that was very difficult for them was that within the church were slaves and masters. That's another difference that to us is just not something that we really, but think about it. You've got this group of people that have been abused, that are owned, and, and then you've got these people that are privileged and expect these guys to take care of them and do whatever they need done, and now they're sitting around in a room as equals, and everyone's considered the same, and that was tough. It was even tough for men and women, and because back then, they had the temple pagan, the pagan temples for women and some for men. And, and if they did get in the same room, well, the women sat over here and the men sat over there. Now, that lasted a long time. If you ever have visited Alexander Campbell's church in Bethany, West Virginia, and those of you who know the history of Churches of Christ know that Alexander Campbell, you know, that's, that's big stuff. They had a door, had two doors to their church, one for the men to go in and one for the women to go in. When you got in the auditorium, there was a division, a, a board runs right down the middle of the auditorium, and women sat on one side and men sat on the other. Well, in the first century, it was even a greater division than that because the men were certainly exalted over the women as superior to the women. And now all of a sudden, you're supposed to sit in a room together and we're all the same. We're all equal. They really struggled with this. How do you come together and work together as a church when there's so many differences among you? And to make matters worse, now they were even dividing up into groups according to what spiritual gift the Holy Spirit had given them. That, that they were like, well, you know, I have this gift, so I'm better than those people. And, and so Paul was just about to pull his hair. If he had any hair, I don't know. Uh, tradition tells us he was bald, but maybe that's what happened, you know. Churches like the Corinthian church, they couldn't work together, and there it all went. But before we get on their case too much, we need to recognize that we are prone to the same problem. We all still had rather be with people who are like us. And when we go church shopping, that's tend, we tend to shop for the church that's most like us. Us. Now, some of you guys have no idea what that means because there's a few of you sitting in this room that were born into the Harrison Irving Church of Christ, which became the Johnson Street Church. This has always been your church family. But most of us in this room are immigrants. We've come along later, haven't we? And many of us in this room have, have gone through that process several times in our lives where we've moved to a different city and we've had to shop and find a church to be a part of. And one of the ways that we tend to do that is, well, where is the church and where are the people that are most like me? In fact, uh, years ago, uh, there was a church out in Orange County, California, that had just exploded in numbers. It had gone from just a handful of people within a couple of three years to thousands of people. And uh, all of us in the rest of the United States were going, wow, what are they doing? How are they doing this? And so 
We would flock out there. They would hold seminars to teach us how our churches could grow like their church had. And a lot of things they said were very good, and uh, it's, it's, it's led by a wonderful man that I have a lot of respect for. However, one thing really disturbed me, because in teaching us how to do what they were doing, they said, you need to focus on your target audience. They said, our target audience is 30-year-old couples, 30-something-year-old couples with children. That's who we go after. That's who we want. Because when they come here, then they feel at home. Because they find all the other 30-something couples with children, and it just all goes together. Well, I can see how that works. But I don't think I like it very much. And then when we sometimes get into churches, we tend to look around the church and say, okay, where are the people like me? Where's my group sitting? And I go and I find them. And, and we group you guys up into classes. And, and I understand all of that. And some of that's natural and good. But some of it makes me uncomfortable too. And it made Paul uncomfortable as he was dealing with this Corinthian church. You notice that he begins his discussion, well, down in verse 4 really, 4, 5, and 6, by talking about the diversity that is found within God himself. Do you notice in verse 4 he says, there are many gifts, but it's the same spirit. There are a lot of different ways to serve God, but it's the same Jesus or Lord. And there's a lot of activities you can be involved in, but it's the same God who develops all these activities. There's a lot of diversity in that passage. For one thing, God is not just God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. There's some diversity, and each one of those then now expires other diversity. And we can just look around at our world and see how God did not create us alike. He didn't create all the animals alike, all the plants alike. That God just really seems to thrive on things being different. But at the same time, while all this difference is there and he's responsible for it, He calls us all together into a body and says, you be the church. You be the body of Christ. And it's interesting that in doing that, he doesn't erase our differences. He even throws more in through the Spirit. Because he takes each one of us and gives us a special gift of the Spirit to be used for the good of the body. That's fascinating to me. Wouldn't it be better if when he called us in, he kind of just ran us through a, a car wash or something and washed away all the differences, and now we're all just alike? But instead, he says, you guys are all different, and I'm going to make you even more different. I'm going to give each one of you your own special gift of the Spirit. Well, let's look at the three main points that I've already said most of them, but we'll group them together now. The three main points that Paul makes in this passage. I'm not going to go just boom, boom, boom through the passage, skipping around a little bit, but if you've got your Bibles open there, you can see where this is coming from. First point he makes is that everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord receives the Holy Spirit and is gifted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not something that only super Christians get to have. It's not something that you have to be a Christian for a long time and really grow up big before finally God says, okay, I'll give you the Spirit. 
but rather it is at that very initial stage of your spiritual life, your very initial uh, beginnings of being a disciple of Jesus. When you call upon his name, you begin to wear his name. God gives you the Holy Spirit right then. And along with that spirit then comes this gift that is given for you. You don't have to have some secret code to unlock it. You know, sometimes we, we kind of go that direction. Well, you know, I know I've got the gift, but someday I'm going to figure out what I'm supposed to say to God, and then all of a sudden it'll just come booming out. You got it. You got the Spirit. You have the gift. All of us who wear the name of Christ carry within us God's Holy Spirit and some special gift He has bestowed upon us. The second point is, that the gifts of the Spirit are intended to be used for the good of the church, for the whole community. That's the reason God gives it to us. He gives us the gifts so that we will take it out and put it to work for the good of the church and the church's work in the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes I'm very selfish. Sometimes I want the Holy Spirit to be my, my blanket that I snuggle up in in my chair, you know. I want the Holy Spirit to come to me and say, Tommy, it's okay. You know, everything is wonderful in your life. You're doing well. And I just feel good and feel so close to God. Well, I'm not saying the Spirit never makes you feel that way. But that's not the primary work of the Spirit, at least according to this passage. The primary work of the Spirit is to give us the ability to do something for the benefit of the work of the church. Now, what is suggested in that is that that's the only that's the only context in which this gift is really effective. You know, that this gift isn't, doesn't really work in other contexts. That, that you say, well, I don't know that I've got a gift. Well, maybe we need to make sure that we're trying to use what God has given us for the good of the community. There's a passage in, in 1 Thessalonians that we often hear. It, it says, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the spirit. Anyone ever heard that passage before? Yeah. Don't throw water on the Holy Spirit that is within you. But sometimes go back and read the context around that passage. That whole context is about loving each other, working together, encouraging one another. It's all about being the church. And when we come together as the church, this is the context in which we are to take the, the gift that the Spirit has given us and put it to work. How sad it is to have this wonderful gift, and it never shows up. It's never activated because we haven't found the context in which it was meant to work. The third point, then, is that all gifts are of equal importance, that we don't look down on some and we don't look up to others. The Corinthians were tending to elevate one. And any of you have ever read 1 Corinthians, what was the gift that they thought was the gift to, that was the greatest one? Speaking in tongues, ecstatic language. And I'll tell you, there's a reason why they like that one the best. It's because most of these, as Paul points out at the first part of this passage, most of the members of the church in Corinth had grown up as pagans. And they went to the pagan temples. Now, there's a reason people like pagan temple worship. You know, it, it was a lot more exciting than singing hymns. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of things went on in those pagan temples that we would go, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that happened there is people spoke in tongues. 
They got all ecstatic and they, they spoke in these tongues. And so this is something they understood and that was held up in the pagan temples as such a wonderful thing. And so they come into the church and then there's a few people that can speak in tongues and they go, wow, you know, that's what I want. And if I can do that, then I'm superior to everyone else. Paul says, no, no, no. You've got to recognize that there's almost as many gifts of the Spirit as there are people themselves. That there's not just one that makes you better than everyone else. And if the gift that you have doesn't seem to be one that attracts a lot of attention, that's okay too. God knows, and God knows that that gift is needed by this church. He goes on and he gives a list of gifts, and we can look at that, but I want you to point point out to you that we know this isn't an exhaustive list. He's not listing every gift that the Holy Spirit gives, because he gives other lists in other books that are totally different from this. For example, in 1 Corinthians, he says, here are some gifts, speaking wisdom, speaking knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecies, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But when he's writing to the Romans, he says, here are the gifts, ministry, teaching, encouraging others, being generous, leadership, and having compassion. Those two lists don't really match up too well. The point is that there's so many things that the Holy Spirit comes up with that are diverse and different, but he gives them to us because he knows the church needs each one. Now, Having said that, I want to ask you some questions. Ready? Question number one I want to ask. Do we have certain gifts among us that we tend to exalt over others? I think that's a good question to stop and ask. Who who do we think maybe are better Christians than we are because they can do something that perhaps we can't do? And this can lead us sometimes to just not doing what we need to do because after all, so-and-so has that gift and they can do it better than we can. Another question I want to ask is, do any of these gifts that I just read make us uncomfortable? Oh, Tommy, I wish you'd have skipped that verse. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't, I don't know that I like that one. You know, people can have gifts that do dwell outside of our own comfort zone, and we kind of question and say, well, I don't know about that. I don't like that one very much. Got to be careful about things like that. It's hard to slice and dice. It's hard to push the edit button and edit out what we want, you know? And number three question I want to ask is, do you have a clue what your gift is? Uh, That's a loaded question because, you know, I know that you can have more than one, I believe. I don't think necessarily it's just like it's only one gift. But really, it calls on us that if this is the way God has structured the church, that if he put it together to be a body of people who are different from one another, and then he comes in and gives people even different things that they can do, then somewhere along the way, it calls upon me to figure out what I need to be doing in the church. Now, there are ways to figure that out. One is prayer. Ask God. I keep saying, I I know I've only got three or four things I say, but one of the things I say a lot is that there are certain prayers that God will answer very quickly, you know? Doesn't answer the prayer for the Mercedes or the BMW very quickly, but if you start asking him questions like, what is my gift and what do I need to be doing with it? Then that answer will come 
It will come. I promise you it will come. Another way you can identify it is just talk to people around you. What do you see in me? What do you see in me that is beneficial to the church and what I could be doing? And you can get a lot of guidance through the Spirit that lives in others as they point out things to you. And I want to point out one more to you. I know I've mentioned this before, too. Sometimes the Holy Spirit identifies the gift that He has given you by what you're most critical of. You know, I love it when someone comes up, well, this church is not doing this and it needs to be doing it. Well, congratulations, God has opened your eyes, and guess who he is calling to do this thing? (laughs) I think it works. The rest of us didn't see it. You see it. Who is being called to do it? Who is God gifting to do it? It's kind of like that old saying my mother used to say when I'd point at something. She said, watch out, there's three pointing back at you. (laughs) That's what maybe God is calling us to do. And if being a part of the body of Christ, Paul really pushes this, not only in Corinthians, but in Romans and in Ephesians, is find where you fit and find what God has given you to do. Because the church is a body and it needs all of its members. That's the last question is to ask ourselves, are we using our abilities for the good of the church? Or have we gotten to work and really involved in the ministry and the calling of the kingdom of heaven whenever we became a part of this body. Now, this particular lesson is always disturbing to me because, you know, yeah, I think that God has called me to, to get up and to talk to the church, to preach however you want to say that. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel that way. But I feel like that he's given me other things that I've kind of pushed off to the side. So I'm in the pew with you as we talk about these things. We do need to use our gifts. We do need to see what we are called to do. We do need to realize that even though we're different, we're bound together by his love, by our love for him and and our love for one another. And that's far greater than anything that separates us. But most of all, I want to close today by congratulating you for being just the kind of person God is looking for. You know? Uh, sometimes we get to thinking that God can't use us anymore because of past, because of present, because of who we are, because of this, because of that. Well, guess what? God's got a slot just for you, not only in this church, but in the kingdom of heaven. And he will give you the ability to use what is within you to serve those around you, to serve this community, and to serve his glorious church. The call is always to come and to respond to him, to be putty in his hands, to be clay upon the turning wheel and let him mold you and make you into just the person he's calling you to be and then put you to work. Let's stand and sing.